Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Like a good team, the depth of our bench is beautiful here. Thank you. A special blessing for me to have a daughter and a granddaughter and a, an adopted daughter, sort of, here with Rebecca and all the wonderful ones. Mike did such a great job. Thank you. Let's give them our appreciation here. Thank you. Good. We miss you, uh, Brother John and uh, Nicole and Ryan, Beth, wherever you are, we don't miss you, but... Uh, no, we do, but uh, don't be gone on the same time next time. <laughs> well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a blessed Lord's Day, and I'm so glad to greet you. We are speeding into this new year. Here we are already into February. Uh, we sailed into February today, but uh, this is the love month. Don't forget Valentine's Day. Now, we are very excited about next Sunday is Vision Sunday. Annually, we take a day to look back on the blessings of God, the many blessings of God, and to be able to quantify them a little, and then to look ahead at all the open doors God has given us. And we are so glad to have each of you in the house today. And for those of you that uh, couldn't be with us, maybe you have a medical concern or something, or maybe you're just checking us out, or some cases uh, we have folks that watch from around America and even around the world. God bless you. We love you, and we're praying for you. Today's message is entitled, It Pays to Serve Jesus. Two weeks, part one today, part two next Sunday. We've been in the exciting book of Revelation for the last month. The last book of the New Testament is not entitled Revelations. A lot of times people pronounce it that way, but it's actually Revelation. Because actually the title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the apocalypsis. It is the unveiling of all that Jesus was and is and he's going to be. The book of Revelation is about confident living, a church living for the Lord in the final days as we know it. Now we're going to follow up that sort of uh, with a message from the last book of the Old Testament. So the book of Revelation from the last book of the New Testament and the book of Malachi, we're going to have our message today, the last book of the Old Testament. We are reminded again today that the Holy Spirit wrote both the old and the new. He used 40 different authors, but uh, over 1,500 years, but in each case, it was him who wrote the Bible. The book of Malachi receives its name from its author, Malachi. In Hebrew, the name comes from the word messenger, which I think is a very appropriate name for the last book of the Old Testament 
because this is a message. This is a special message. And after this, there was a 400-year time of silence, as it were, where there was no scripture that is given. So this was a very important message. These were, in one way, the last words in the Old Testament. What is this book about? It's about clarity. It's about finding where you stand with God. Sadly, for the most part, the people of Israel, people, and we're not talking about just people who were um, citizens of Israel, but people who were theologically and supposedly connected to the Lord in their heart, they had turned their heart away from God. Many of them were struggling with their faith. They had become preoccupied with the cares of the world and with the condition of the world. And frankly, they were beginning to wonder if really there was any reason to serve God, go to the temple, serve the Lord to keep obeying the Bible. And they were just like, what's the point if it's all going to be the same anyway? And so that's where we come to Malachi chapter 3 verse 14. So in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 14, please look at this verse. Here, God, the Holy Spirit, told Malachi to write this down. He said, is it, it is vain, you have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the house of the Lord, the Lord's house. Now, what is happening here? The people were actually speaking against God, not a good plan. Now, whether they were thinking it or actually verbalizing it, maybe around the kitchen table, husbands and wives, maybe even family members were kind of saying, I don't know. I mean, I don't get it. It doesn't seem like it does us any good to serve the Lord. Or maybe down at the local tea shop there, the coffee shop, they were saying, you know, I mean, we're trying to follow what God says. We're worshiping. We're doing the laws that we're supposed to do, but we're not seeing any real benefit. Here we are. We're um, not seeing the, the blessings we'd like to see. And maybe they were actually looking at the people of the world and they were saying, you know what? They don't go to church. They don't seem like they're praying. They don't seem like they're giving to the Lord, tithes and offerings. And so really, what's the point here? And so God gave Malachi a message, a message of clarity. He said, look, you need to rethink what you're thinking right now. And I'm going to tell you something. You need to realize it pays to serve Jesus. And I pray God, the Holy Spirit will blazon upon your consciousness this message upon your heart. In these last days, many are looking around saying, look at everybody. I mean, look what's going on in this world. And maybe you feel like they're all having fun and here I am trying to do right. And am I missing out? FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, I've got the FOMO disease. But the truth of the matter is you're not missing out on anything. Nobody else seems to be serving God, some might think, but you're trying to do the right thing. And so God's message to Malachi and his people is a message for today. The benefits 
of serving Jesus are out of this world. My sermon title actually comes from an old hymn, It Pays to Serve Jesus. The writer of the hymn, Frank Huston, was an American hymn writer. He was born in 1871, and he became a Christian at an early age, and he had a knack for music, played the cornet, sang in choral groups, and then by the age of 18, like some of these young people, was up there conducting church music. He went to the U.S. Navy, and he was known there, among other things, as the singing chaplain. He wrote many good gospel songs, and one day, as a middle-aged man, after he had gone out of the uh, Navy, he was talking to an 82-year-old friend. This man, a wonderful believer who had served the Lord for many years, said, you know, Frank, he said, I think you ought to write a song telling everybody how it pays to serve Jesus. He said, I've served God for all these years, and I'm telling you, there is no regrets. It pays to serve Jesus. And so Frank took up the mantle and said, I'm going to write that song. He did, along with the melody. Here are few of the words of that wonderful song. It was an old hymn that people used to sing, don't much anymore. But here's the song. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. Though the pathway to glory may sometimes be drear, you'll be happy each step of the way. It pays to serve Jesus, whate'er may be tied. It pays to be true, whate'er you may do. Tis riches of mercy in him to abide, it pays to serve Jesus every day. And it does. I will validate the same today. It pays to serve Jesus. Speaking of serving, I think some of the most enlightening moments in our church centers around all those dear saints that serve all the wonderful food and drinks around here. It seemed like this one particular congregation I read of loved food, and there was a little conversation between a pastor and one of the young boys. After church, this uh, church would always serve coffee and cookies before people went home. So one Sunday, the pastor was asking the boy, he said, do you know why we serve coffee after church? The little boy said, well, I think it's to get the people awake before they drive home. Well, that's exactly why we serve coffee before church, because I want you to be awake. Sometimes I see these small little cups, and I say, that's not going to be enough for my sermon, and uh, you need one of those big ones. All right, well, let's, uh, let's bow for prayer, and uh, let's uh, believe together that it pays to serve Jesus. Father, we thank you for the great truths. Lord, how my heart's been so blessed just reading your word and praying and studying and talking to people this week and ministering. Lord, what a joy to be here. Thank you for these people. It's so faithful, Lord, that no rain's going to keep them away. And for those who couldn't be here, Lord, I pray you just help them and be with them. I trust they're feeling better. In Jesus' name, amen. It pays to serve Jesus every day. I was helped in my outline today from a little piece I read in the Legacy Sermon Collection. It's an excellent outline, and I thought I would share it with you. You know, 
all pastors actually share and borrow ideas from each other, and we have to because, as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. And we're not to be in the truth-creating business, but the truth-sharing business. And so I trust that the outline will be as rewarding to you as it was to me when I read it. If you're going to reap rewards of serving Jesus, then there are some things that must happen. First of all, there must be a personal return to God. If we're going to reap the benefits of serving Jesus, there must be a personal return to God. Not just a corporate return, but a personal return. Let's go to chapter 3 of the book of Malachi. Even from the days of your father, you are gone away from my ordinances. Now, Malachi has given this message to give to the people, and it's straightforward. He doesn't pull any punches. You have gone away from my ordinances, my laws, and you've not kept them. Return unto me, return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you have said, wherein shall we return? God says we must come back to God if we want God to come back to us. It's always us that needs to change and not God. There's a strange mindset in the world today that somehow the Bible needs to be updated. And sometimes I kind of wonder about some of these translations and these paraphrases, if though they're kind of saying that we need to update the Bible. My friend, you don't need to update truth. That people are saying, oh, we need to bring the, the faith, the Christian faith into the 21st century. And somehow God needs to be more inclusive. But I remind each of us it is not God that needs to change. It is us that needs to change. We need to return to God, he said here, and then I'll return to you. It's humanity that needs to get back to a genuine faith. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. The point of return then needs to be at the exact point of the departure. Now, what was that? God had given them many talents He'd given them time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day had been allotted to them. Many treasures had been given to them to, for their commission, and they had stepped away from it. They had begun to leave off the talents that God had given them. They had begun to not give God the time that he had given them and their treasures. They began to withhold those. Slowly at first... But then they had betrayed the very trust and the privilege of being God's people. And so, frankly, it was a gracious invitation that God would say, return. Many of us would say, well, fine, if you're going to be that way, then fine, just, I don't care. But God said, no, I'll, I'll take you back, but you're going to have to come back to me. Get your back, get back on track with me and then watch it. The blessings will just roll in. Well, it's hard to imagine how people can be so um, crazy, but here's what they said. I mean, they play dumb. The last part of that verse says, they said, well, wherein shall we return? What have we done that's so bad? <laughs> that's when you know you're in bad shape is when you don't know what bad you've done. So God answers. He said, wherein shall you return? Really? Are you, are you kidding me? And so 
absolutely, God lays out the case plain as day, no ambiguity. He said, okay, if you want to know, I'll just tell you. So God answers the question. You want to know how to return to God. Here's how you do it. Verse 8. Will a man, I get this, a man rob God? Well, yet you have robbed me, but you have said, wherein have we robbed thee? Well, in tithes and offerings. God said, you need to stop embezzling from my funds. You need to stop stealing from me. Now, for a people who depended upon God, who derived all their support from God, then then turn around and steal from him? God said, that's ludicrous. Now, brothers and sisters, in these last days of the New Testament, just like the last days of the Old Testament, we must return to God in the matter of stewardship because returning to God, returning to Jesus means to get right in this area. I remind you, you cannot say it enough. God is not out to impoverish you. He is out to improve your life. He's not trying to get from you. He is trying to give to you. Our sovereign God says, however, you must do it his way. I love what that wonderful choir leader, that Old Testament choir leader, David's choir leader Asaph said in Psalm 50 and verse 12, Here is God, he's speaking for God. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Giving is not about helping God's work or even helping poor old God out. It's about you and I being helped by God. It is God letting us give and letting us participate and letting us get in on the blessings. It is you he wants. It is me he wants. God wants us more than he wants the money. But by giving that, we are showing him we're giving him ourselves. Look what it says in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Here the great apostle was talking to the wonderful church he loved so much, a, a church with a lot of challenges, but he loved them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 5. Of those people who were such generous givers... He said, first of all, look at verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord. So before they were giving their money and all their resources, they gave themselves to the Lord. And really, it's one and the same because our money represents our time. It represents our effort and our toil and our wisdom. It really goes hand in glove then with giving. It's who we are. In fact, a little bit later in the same book, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Here, God says, I seek not yours, but you. I'm not trying to get from you. I'm trying to get you. I want to bless you. I want to pour out blessings in your life. But you need to come back to me. You need to return to me. And as, as an evidence of that, there needs to be a giving. There must be a personal return to God. And there is nothing more personal to us than our finances. They say, don't talk to people about politics and money. Well, that is because it's very personal to us. Giving tithes and offerings is not about raising money. He owns everything. Giving tithes and offerings is about raising Christians. I've told you before the old story about the hardworking 
corn farmer, lived back in the Midwest. He had two boys, and boy, he made them work hard. While the other boys were off running around, this farmer's sons were out there sweating out the cornfields, working so hard. Someone once came to the farmer and said, why do you work those boys so hard? You don't need all that corn. And he said, I'm not raising corn. I am raising boys. You know, faithful tithe is just like that. God's not raising money for the gospel. God is raising Christians up. He is growing people. He said, I want you to return to me. And as an evidence of that, you're going to be giving because that's who you are. That's, that's where you live. That's your, that's your bread and butter of your life. One of the greatest signs that you and I are getting right with God is that you can trust God with your finances. And I say this, you can talk about how conservative you, you are. <laughs> you can talk about how fundamental you are. You can talk about how much you love America, but I will tell you this, if you don't give tithes and offerings, then you don't care about America. You don't care about the world. No, because God wants us to get back to him. And if you go back to God, standing for God means to give to him. And you should know that any consecration we brag about that hasn't reached our purse it has not reached our person. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Thank you for not sugarcoating that this morning. Thank you. Thank you for telling me the truth. I wouldn't want to go to a church where they didn't tell me the truth. Amen. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. That's exactly why Jesus said this verse. Here he was on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Folks, I know you're here. I know you're all listening to me. And he was looking out at thousands of people there. He's up there on a little mountain and his voice was echoing. He said, I'm glad you're here, but I'm going to tell you straight and clear. Don't misunderstand me. Your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So where's your treasure today? Is it in your checking account or is it in the Lord's work? God always needs to have his part. Is Jesus first in your time? Is he first in your talents? Is he first in your treasure? I remember watching those old cartoons. They don't call them cartoons anymore, but we used to call them cartoons. Well, I think this was the Three Stooges. That was great, wonderful Christian cartoons there. But um, the Three Stooges were there, I think it was, and they were all lined up with soldiers. The sergeant was walking along and he said, I want three volunteers to step forward. Everybody in line stepped back, except for the three stooges, of course. They stayed where they were, and it looked like they were stepping forward. And they looked around and said, wait, we didn't volunteer. That's how I think sometimes we are. We reluctantly volunteer. We're not especially out there. We just kind of there. But God wants us to give cheerfully and personally a personal return to the Lord. Now, in a couple of months, uh, April 15th is coming. Now, April 15th is a special day for Americans, and you know what day that is, don't you? Well, all of us are going to be busy making sure that we get all of our uh, dots uh, in the right place and all of our T's crossed. We're going to try to figure out our taxes or flip on the TurboTax or whatever, but 
we're going to make sure that we make Caesar happy. Now, why is that? Why is it that some Christians will make sure they pay their income tax, but they don't tithe? Well, I tell you why. Because they're more concerned about what the IRS is going to do than about how happy Jesus is. Moses told Israel in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30, he said the same thing that Malachi said. He said the tithe, that's the word tenth, is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. It's not Toyota's. It's the Lord's. It's not some payment you make. Someone to describe modern American this way. The modern American is someone who drives on a, drives a bank financed car over a bond financed highway with gasoline he bought on a credit card on a way to open a charge account at the electronic store so he can fill out an application for a student loan online. <laughs> Folks, that's not the way we ought to be. That's not being faithful. God wants us to be faithful. And these are the days to, we must return to God and get the gospel out. These are the days for a return to the Lord. God wants us to return to the Lord. And it all starts with giving ourself to the Lord first. And that's what God is saying. He said, your time, your talent, your treasure is an indication of who you are. Return to me, then I'll return to you. And it all starts with surrendering. Welch Foods Incorporated is one of the great food companies today. It is particularly known for its grape juices and its jams and its jellies. Its founder was Charles Welch. You may not know the story behind this particular company. Charles Welch actually was the son of a Methodist minister who was also, of all things, a dentist. Well, as a young man, Charles believed that God was calling him to the mission field. And so he made plans to, to leave America and go to Africa. But just before his departure, his wife developed a disabling illness, and really it was impossible for her to do much of anything other than just lay there. He was devastated. However, being faithful to his uh, wife and to his family, he determined prayerfully that instead he would do everything he could to make as much money to enable the spread of the gospel all over the world. Now, his father, Thomas Welch, had developed a way to pasteurize Concord grape juice for use in the church communion service. So he would take this uh, unfermented grape juice and they would pasteurize it and send it out to churches. Charles then took over the business. He started selling juice in more ways and began to raise money for missions. And the more of his income that it came in, he would tithe. He kept giving to the Lord. His products line grew. Soon, Welch Grape Incorporated became a world-acclaimed food company. Faithfully tithing, Charles Welch gave hundreds of thousands of dollars back in that day. Today's dollar would be millions. And even today, the Welch family still continues that tradition of giving tithes and offerings. But it all started with first giving himself to the Lord. And when we give ourself to the Lord, then giving our time, our talent, our treasures, it's not a problem. It's a personal return to the Lord. And that's what Malachi said. He said, hey, look, if you want to get this thing square with God, give yourself to the Lord and he'll give himself to you. Not only a personal return to the Lord, number two, it needs to be a tangible 
release. There needs to be a, just a letting go. In order to serve God in the last days, any days for that matter, there needs to be a very real, very tangible, very material, concrete effort. Don't just talk as cheap. Let's see if you can put your money where your mouth is, basically, is what God is saying. Verse, let's look at verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. That's one thing to rob your kid's pity bank to go get a Starbucks, you know, or something, but to rob Father God? But you say, wherein have we robbed you? They had gotten so away from what was right and from the Bible, they didn't even, weren't even really aware that they were robbing God. He said, well, in tithes and offerings, that's what I'm talking about. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. Now, folks, that can't be good. I can tell you that. Whatever that means, that can't be good. I don't want that. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. You haven't just robbed me. You've hurt the nation. Then verse 10, bring, not send, but bring. From the earliest verses of Genesis, the first act of worship was to bring an offering to the Lord, to bring a sacrificial offering. I mean, it's just the way it's always been, sacrificing, giving to the Lord. Then it says, bring ye. It's not enough that our parents give or so-and-so gives. Bring ye, each one of us, all the tithe. Don't shortchange God and bring it into the storehouse and let it leave it there and walk away, that there may be meat in my house. Don't grow weary in worshiping. Don't grow weary in giving. It pays to serve Jesus. Now, in these verses, I see three things. First of all, I see that the tithe has a definite proportion, a definite proportion. There are two words, one in the Hebrew, one in the Greek for the word tithe. In the Old Testament, mahaseir, it means tenth. In the New Testament, it is the word dekataho, it means tenth. So whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, the word is the same, that is giving the first tenth of our income back to the Lord. That's exactly what Jacob did in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 22. In chapter 28 of Genesis, Jacob is stepping out into the world. He's going to establish a home of his own. As he does, he's blessed with this amazing vision of God's unique plan for his life, this ladder, and all the spiritual blessings that God has for him. If you'll just serve him, if you put him first, in response of all things, what does he do? So he gets this great gift. He gets this great, I mean, he gets this great uh, blessing that he's going to be blessed by God. So what is Jacob's response? He just pulls this out of the air? No. It says, of all that thou shalt give me, surely I'll give the tenth unto thee. Where did he get that? I mean... This is in the earliest days of humanity, of the patriarchs. God had this eternal principle that was placed into his heart that when you want to respect somebody for all they've done for you, you give them the tenth. By the way, there's always somebody who will say something like, oh, pastor, you know, those ties, those are ceremonial. Those are for the Jews in the Old Testament. I live in the New Testament. Well, that's partly true. Tithing was, in fact, part of God's Old Testament ceremonial law. Very true. 
but it's also an eternal principle. In fact, you could even say it's a moral law. It was practiced and advocated four centuries before the ceremonial law. In fact, it was advocated by Jesus centuries later in the New Testament. I say again, as I said earlier, the Old Testament and the New Testament is one book. It is written by the same God. Jesus never said about the Old Testament, well, the Old Testament says don't steal, but I tell you, you can steal a little bit. It's all right. Why would our Lord do something like that? Our Lord said that when you obey the Bible, it's a sign that you love God. Here's how Jesus said it in John 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't say you love Jesus, but you don't keep my commandments. People will say, well, that's some other kind of commandments. Well, I don't know. It sure sounds a whole lot like the Old Testament commandments to me. If you keep my, if you love me, keep my commandments. What Bible did Jesus have in his hand right then? He had the Old Testament Bible in his hand. He didn't have the New Testament. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a sign you love God. Here's how Paul explained it in Romans 13, verse 10. He said, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love God, you'll fulfill the law. Now, why do you feed your children this morning? Do you feed your children because the laws of the land say that you have to feed your children is your responsibility? No, you feed them because you love them. Now, there is a law that says that, but you don't even think about it. You feed them because you love them. And really, I don't think about the law of giving. I just think about how much I love the Lord. And I see that he's put this eternal principle into play. It sounds good to me. I'm not sure why it's there, but sounds good. I'm good with it. You know, the sad state of tithing in the American church is flabbergasting. And I, every time I read them, I'm just like, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Here's what church development uh, group said. They said, according to their calculations, only five percent of people that go to church actually give 10%. 5%. Are you kidding me? 5% of people tithe. They said out of the 300, uh, share faith said out of 325 million citizens, U.S. citizens, who those identifying as Christians, only 2 million of them tithe. I mean, I mean, we're talking just uh, so small. They, um, health research funding said this, if every Christian tithed, which is 10%, if every Christian tithed, faith organizations and churches would have an extra $139 billion every year to get the gospel out. Folks, now I'm grateful that here at the home church, the stats are a lot higher than that, praise God. But still, oh my soul, it's terrible. That should not be. The tithe has a definite proportion. For whatever reason, God said a tenth. I mean, he said it. I don't think I have any reason to change it. Number two, the tithe has a designated place. It pays to serve Jesus and to do it the way he said so. Look at verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Now in the Old Testament tabernacle, specifically in the Old Testament temple, they would go to the place of worship. They would do sacrifices 
They would hear the priest teach. They would have fellowship. There was music oftentimes. But there was a place called the storehouse. It was an area where they would bring, literally, physically bring a tenth of their crop or a tenth of whatever, or the sale, and they would leave it there in the storehouse. They didn't just spend their tithe. They would set it aside, and they set it aside first. It would be locked away until they could get to the temple. They didn't use it for wagon payments or for seed for their crop or for new clothes or to send their kids to rabbi school. No. They knew that was God's money, and they set it aside, and it would be taken to the temple, and it would be put in the storehouse. Don't touch it. If any kid came near that money, they would say, don't touch. That's God's tithe. Don't touch it. Did you know that the wise apostle Paul used that very illustration about New Testament giving? In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 2, here it says, he gives them a pattern. He said, now for us, it's the first day of the week. Now, people like to call it the weekend, but it's not the weekend. It's the week beginning. Sunday is the first day of the week. It is the Lord's day, we're told in the book of Revelation. So on the Lord's day, that's a good term. It's the Lord's day. It's not the beaches day. It's not the whatever day. It's the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, then the Bible says we are to come, every one of you, look at that verse, every one. Makes no difference whether we're uh, eight years old and have a little lawn job or 80 years old on a pension. Everyone, no condition you get a pass on. On the first day, on we call it Sunday, not really the best term because it, it pays uh, a tribute to Roman gods, but it's what we call it, Sunday. We could call it the first day or the Lord's day. It says, lay by him in store. See that word store? That is the same word in the Greek as the Hebrew word is in the Old Testament. In fact, if you were to take the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's almost exactly the same word. Here, clearly, Paul is saying, lay by him in store. He is saying the local church that you meet in in the first day of the week is God's storehouse. Bring the tent into the storehouse. Now, folks, that pretty much clears it up. It is not the Christian school that is to get our tithe. It is not a college. It is not a missionary. It is not Samaritan's purse. The church is God's New Testament storehouse. He used that very illustration to tell us that it needs to have a definite proportion and a definite place. And then there's a definite and divine purpose, a designated place, a divine purpose. Verse 10, why? What's the purpose? That there be meat in my house. Now that's very literal meat, meaning the, all the Levites and all the priests and all the, those that were the Kohathites and everybody that was serving in the temple, they needed to have food for ministry so that they could feed their family because they didn't have outside jobs so that they could dedicate themselves to preaching the word and ministering to people. It was also for the building and the upkeep of the temple. It was for uh, getting the word of God out. And so it was a place, it was, it was a, a definite proportion, and then it was also a divine purpose. 
Now, Pauline and I have been bringing the tenth from the very first day that we got married. Every paycheck that we get, we have given the tenth on. In fact, oftentimes before. And as she did it before when she was married, her husband passed away. I did it with my dear wife, Lynette, before she passed away. And so for all these decades, we have been tithing people. In fact, by God's grace, we have been five-digit givers for decades. And I can recall the first time I really got it about giving. I was 19 years old. I was single, just about ready to get married to Lynette. I lived in Delano, California, and I worked at San Joaquin Sprayers for the summer. And uh, before I was to get married and move back down to Southern California. Now, this was an agricultural spraying company. The hours were obscenely long. I don't think OSHA would agree with what we went through, but sometimes we'd begin at 4 a.m. and we wouldn't pull back into the yard until 8 p.m. I mean, you talk about hot, you talk about terrible conditions, but I will say because of the long hours, I was pulling in a good wage for a blue-collar worker during that time. And I can still recall the joy it was to write that check. In fact, I think I went to the bank and got cash. For that whole summer, I piled up my tithe and then came in and gave it. Now, I didn't do it the right way. I shouldn't have gathered it all up and brought it in. But the fact was I gave it and it was such a thrill. I mean, I will tell you the glory of God that came into my soul. I'm telling you, it was a thrill. Now, to God be the glory, I want to tell you that for almost now all these 70 years, I have returned a dime on every dollar that God has given me. And I have done so happily. Folks, I love God's church. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 3 and verse 21, unto him be glory in the church. When I give through my church, I am giving to him, to him. Bring the tithe to God's house on God's day so that God's work will be done in God's way. Truly, I can tell you, it is a fact. God has opened the windows of heaven and poured out blessing after blessing. It pays to serve Jesus. There must be a personal return to God at the place of departure. Number two, there must be a tangible release. Don't say how spiritual you are and don't get down and dirty and give what God gives us. And then number three, there must be a spiritual renewal. There must be a spiritual renewal. If we are going to serve Jesus, then there needs to be a spiritual renewal. Let me give you three renewals that will happen when you give your tithe and offerings from the heart. First of all, there's a renewed faith. Look at verse 10. Prove me. In fact, I know of no other verse in the Bible that is so dynamic as that. Prove me now. Prove me now. Test me on this. Test me. I'm the Lord of hosts. That means I can rebuke any host, any demon, any angel, any spiritual darkness, any principality. I can do that for you. But you're going to need to prove me. Put me to the test. See whether it's true or not. You know, I wonder if we've ever connected the dots or not. Praying for revival and the use of our money. 
Now, to be sure, you can't buy the power of the Holy Spirit, granted. Simon found that out in Acts chapter 8, and uh, they told him very clearly, you can't, you can't purchase the power of God. But our money is one indicator in God's sight that we are ready for greater things. That's exactly what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. He said, I can only give you true riches when you're faithful with the rest. You know, people are always saying, boy, I wish I, could, I had that faith. I just wish I had faith. I wish I had that feeling about serving God. Well, the statement of Jesus, I think, gives us the answer. And that is, you can't get true riches until we're faithful with that which God has given us. I mean, if a child took his father's money and went to the store, and his father said, buy this and then bring back the change, but he came back without the change, I don't think the father's going to give him any more. It's a simple equation. If we do not bring our resources under the Lordship of Christ, God can't give us greater faith and greater joy. If you want joy in the Lord and your faith to be renewed, then be faithful. Renewed faith, and second of all, a renewed freedom. I mean, it is incredible how God frees us from many of the things that attacks others. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Boy, I like the sound of that. A devourer being rebuked. Anymore, it seems like income is just getting gobbled up. I can tell you it is a blessing to know that God, however it is being gobbled up, it's good to know that God is out there rebuking. On New Year's Day, uh, I thought it'd be a nice treat if we had prime rib. It was only five of us are going to be there. I know that sounds like a lot to maybe some of you, but it was only five of us. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll splurge. So I asked Pauline to find out about getting a prime rib. So she went to the store, went to the meat cutter there, the butcher. And he said, oh yeah, I've got a real nice prime rib. I'll bring it out to you. And she hit for about five people. So uh, he brought it out to her and he put the label on it and she looked down on it, 200 and something dollars for that prime rib. And she looked at that and she, uh, her eyes got big and she gave me a call. She said, um, were you thinking it was going to be over $200? I said, $200 for prime rib? Good night. I said, no, we're going to in and out honey. And uh, so, uh, by the way, I ran the numbers at that rate. If I had fed my whole family, it'd be over $3,000. But anyway, um, the fact of the matter is the devil is out to steal from you. I guarantee it. He's out to steal. And we need God to be out there rebuking him for us. John 10, 10, the thief cometh but to kill and to steal and to destroy. What God is saying is, I will give you freedom from the thieves of your time, your treasure and your talents. Your clothes will well better, wear better. Your car will drive better. You'll be more healthy. Now, I'm not saying if you tithe, you're going to be an instant millionaire. That's largely God's decision. I mean, he gives us the opportunities and the circumstances and the health. And we do our best with whatever talents God gives us. But regardless, you'll always do more with the nine-tenths and God as your partner than you'd ever do with the ten-tenths by yourself. You'd say, well, pastor, do you, you don't expect that little widow 
that's just on Social Security to tithe, do you? Or you don't expect those young couples on a single income that have children? Sure I do. You'd say, you are a hard-hearted man, Pastor. No, I will tell you, I'd be hard-hearted if I didn't teach them to tithe. I want them to be blessed. I want them to be blessed of God and have the freedom. And you may think that, but I will tell you, folks, you're not smarter than God. God did not write verses for some people and the same verses not for other people. Don't you know that a loving God wants to bless every widow, every person in this church, every young couple? God wants to bless us, but we need to put ourselves in the place of blessing. Three renewals from obedience, a renewed faith, a renewed freedom, and then thank God, a renewed faith, fruitfulness. Look at verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. The fruits of your ground are not going to be destroyed. I'll make you fruitful. Now, this is not just talking about our land, but our life. And it is past time that we start believing God on this matter. He'd say, well, when things get better, I'm going to tithe. Folks, that's never going to happen. Never. There is never a time when conditions will be perfect for you to be able to tithe. Inflation won't be eating up your income when all things will be settled. Goldilocks time doesn't happen. You need to be faithful today so that you can be fruitful tomorrow. And don't get so wrapped up in the now and now that you forget the by and by. 100% of us are going to leave everything. We're going to leave everything. And then when we go to heaven, the Bible says we're going to have something waiting for us. Did you know that? It's going to be waiting for you. I wonder what's going to be waiting for you and I. Here's what Jesus pled with them. Luke chapter 16. He said, when you fail, that means die. When you pass away, when that last breath happens, when that last heartbeat, they, meaning your money, will receive you. That which you sent ahead, it will receive you. It's there waiting for you into everlasting, everlasting habitations. Here's what Paul told the church. He said in Philippians chapter 4, did you know you have a heavenly account? Now, most of you, I think 99.9% .9 of you have a checking account, savings account, you have brokerage accounts, you have all kinds of other accounts, but you do have a heavenly account. Now, whether you want to admit it or not, or, <laughs> but you do. Paul said, now, get this. I'm grateful that you've given to me and to my ministry. It's been such a blessing. It's inspired me. It's helped me. It's encouraged me. We've gotten the word out. But can I give you the bottom line here? He said, folks, it's really not about me. It's not my main focus. Look what he says. It's not a, because I desire a gift. I'm glad for it. I'm grateful for it. And I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to be abased. I mean, I, I get all that. But he said, it's not that I desire a gift. Some might accuse a pastor of just wanting money. Well, you can say that, but I promise you that's not the case. I promise you. No way, shape, or form. It is not about trying to get money in. It is about doing the right thing, and it's about wanting you to get blessed of God. Not because I desire a gift. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. 
You have an account. You do. Whether you want to admit it or not, but you do. Whether you're 10 or 110, it makes no difference. We have an account. And so I ask your question, what does your account look like? Now, you may need to play catch up or maybe you have a way to do something, uh, to leave something. But I will tell you, it always pays to serve Jesus. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. What does it profit a man? You gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What does it profit? I mean, okay, I'm glad that you have how many zeros? Good. Okay, great. It's wonderful. But what about heaven? You're going to go there. Friend, God's not trying to get your money. He's trying to bless you. He wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I'm just going to just give you the bottom line. That's just going to go ahead and say it. There is only one reason why you wouldn't give 10% in an offering. And that is simply you just don't believe God. I mean, it's just simple as that. You do not believe that he will bless you. You do not believe he'll take care of you. You just don't believe it. Because the minute you believe it, you'll do it. You will. You'll find a way. Years ago, I read a story, and I want to share it with you as we close. It was a missionary, and he received a knock at the door of his very simple home one afternoon, and answering this brush pastor saw a national boy holding a large fish in his hands. The little boy is holding that big old fish, and he said, Reverend, you taught us what tithing is. And so here you go. I have brought you my tithe. The missionary smiled, gratefully took the fish, and he said, wow, wonderful. He said, well, if this is your tithe, where's the other nine fish? That little boy, big old smile broke out on his face. He said, oh, they're still back in the river, but I'm going to go and catch them now. I'm going to go catch them now. And here's what I tell you this morning. If national statistics are even close, that means dozens in this room, maybe hundreds, are living in fear of not being able to catch those nine fish. You just, I, boy, I've, I've always, always just done it this way. I always just give what, you know, I just tip God. Friends, don't do that. Come on now. Give God the tenth and then trust him to take care of those nine fish. Now, of course, a good reminder. We must always be reminded there's no way to buy our way to heaven. We're not talking about buying your way to uh, eternal life. No, we're just talking about being faithful to God. Does it pay to serve Jesus? That's the question. And the answer is yes, it pays. It pays every day and in every way. Our heads are bowed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.